You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. ago i did two podcasts in a row one of which you're going to hear soon uh as in after i'm done talking and tomorrow or later today rather i will be recording two podcasts one at 1 p.m and another at 8 p.m so that'll be four podcasts in the space of three days which for me is a new record uh, I'm trying to keep everything going and, and have as much content as I can. Uh, Beth V and RT Yule have really been kicking ass on posts for October. You'll notice that they've done a ton of work and it's been really good stuff. I'm super excited about Richard's story, uh, the Zombie 5000. It's really cool that he's doing this. And it's every Saturday in October. Check in at NeedlessThingsSite.com for a new chapter of of his newest zombie story, his newest work of fiction. It's very cool. Uh, It's something that I'd like to do more of with the Needless Things spotlight. It's just cool to be able to feature people doing creative things, which, I mean, granted, that's kind of most of what we do on the site, but I I really like this concept. You'll notice that I'm speaking a little uh, less enthusiastically than I normally am. It's because it is 3.14 in the morning. Everybody else in the house is asleep, but this is the only time I could record this intro, so I'm just going to have to do it all low-key like this and uh, maybe crank up the volume if need be. But there's not going to be a whole heck of a lot for me to say on this one because on the show today is none other than Howdy Mike Gordon, creator of Tiki Zombie and host of the ESO podcast, or I guess co-host. Uh, but I mean, he's, how, how do you, how do you say co-host while still imparting that he is an integral and primary part of the show? He's, uh, he's one of the Beatles of ESO, if you will. But Mike's a great guy. I've been wanting to talk to him for a while and I wasn't, you know, I wanted to do something neat. I wasn't quite sure where to fit him in, and then October comes around. October, Tiki Zombie, you know, he he was Earth Station Boo. He's, he's there every year, and he's integral to it. Uh, he's he's definitely a horror guy with a, with a little different spin than what I've got. So I thought it'd be a great time to bring him on the show and talk to him. And I've never, you know, Mike's my buddy, but. I've never gotten to talk to him in this way before. We always kind of have a topic at hand or we're at a con or there's something specific. And this was just to sit down and learn about him, what he does, how his brain works, all that kind of stuff. I was really curious to find out about how Tiki Zombie works. And here's here's my failing is that Mike is launching his own podcast on the ESO Network, which you can find at esopodcast.com. 
And we didn't even get to talk about it. And, and his podcast is about the process of creating Tiki Zombie and publishing, uh, comics in general and running New Legend, which is his production company. Uh, and, and it's going to be awesome. And, and that's part of why we didn't get into it too much here is because obviously he wants to save that stuff for his own podcast. But I'm really excited to listen to this one because Mike's a real smart guy and he, he knows his way around comics, man. I mean, he, he really does. He's got a sharp mind for it. So I'm, I'm dying to hear that one. But before that happens, this is happening and it's going to be great. It's, it's really a fun conversation. I think you guys will dig it. But the Needless Things podcast is, of course, available on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can download, you can stream, you can go to needlessthingssite.com and stream it from there. Uh, please check it out, spread the word, send us feedback. You can find Needless Things on Facebook and on Twitter. Please leave us feedback, send us comments, tell us what you want to hear, tell us what you don't want to hear. Uh, me and Beth and Richard are, are ready to listen and ready to, to respond to what you want. Uh, and we've got a couple of new authors coming into the fold sooner than later. You can look forward to some comic reviews from a good buddy of mine. And uh, he's written for the site before, Jason. Uh, you'll you'll enjoy his work, trust me. Now, before I get to the interview, and I've, I've got to get to it because I'm having to speak low. And when I speak low, I find it difficult to be excited and exciting. So we're going to go ahead and get to things. But first, I've got to tell you, the beginning of this conversation actually happened about 20 minutes before the beginning of this recording. Uh, me and Mike talked for a while, and I had some weird audio stuff with my recorder, and Skype started acting kind of weird. There, there's just some cutout. Uh, so when we when we join it, Mike is in mid-conversation about ESO, but we actually come in at a pretty good point with him talking about the ESO network and his role in it and kind of how he, he came into that. So just know that we'd been chatting for a little bit. I asked him about ESO, and we're going to go right into this conversation with Mike Gordon talking about ESO, and then from there it all just takes off. I hope you guys enjoy it. Now here's Howdy, Mike Gordon. Station One, Earth Station Who, any of the uh, ESO network stuff that I've done, it's all really fun people to talk to. It doesn't feel like a chore at all. It just feels like you just, I mean, yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, I got to record, you know, four, you know, podcasts in a row this week or whatever. But once you sit down and I start talking to people and we start talking about the topics and you find out what really people are passionate about listening to them and as well as, you know, giving your own two cents or whatever, it's just, it's just a great time. And that's what, you know, uh, we've sort of modeled ESO to be, but yeah, that was, uh, I, I, you know, I always thought that I, I had something that I wanted, what I wanted to do with my own podcast was to have something that was, um, positive because there was so much negative stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, actually my, <laughs> 
I don't know if I've ever said this publicly. I think my first idea for the podcast, it was going to be called Awesome Sauce. <laughs> and it was just going to be, we were just going to rave about stuff yep. that we liked. Whether it was, you know, pulling stuff out of a hat or, you know, uh, you know, like, oh, I remember this show growing up. I really like that. Or this is a new movie that I just saw or whatever. And we were just going to talk about stuff that we liked and talk to people who are passionate about stuff. And it was going to be like a really positive thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it never happened, but, uh, you know, I tried to bring that to, to Earth Station One, so. Well, and you do. I mean, that's, you know, even if, even if that concept of a podcast didn't get across, I think that is what you bring to ESO and you, you, you have kind of a counterbalance, not that Faber's negative uh, at all. <laughs> But well, I mean, and he'll, he'll admit though that he can be, uh, yeah. you know, with the original, it's funny because we always start every episode with rants and raves. Well, that was supposed to just be raves. Uh, but I wanted <laughs> to make sure that we, we started, uh, with a positive thing and ended with a positive thing. So we were with raves yeah. and we were all like, you know, what was the cool thing that happened to you this week or whatever? And then we would end with something like we wanted to give a shout out to this because it's really cool, you know, and we like it. So so we would both start and end the show on a positive note. The very first time we recorded, uh, I went first and I did, you know, I raved about, I can't even remember what it was, but I raved about something. And then, uh, we turned, I turned it over to Faber and he blasted something. I can't remember what it was. And it was quickly apparent to me that that's what I, th- as a matter of fact, the first few times we recorded, I thought that's what it was going to be. I was going to do something positive and he was going to do something negative every week. Uh, and then <laughs> it, it, it just turned out that, uh, he just had a lot of, uh, I guess, ang- ang- uh, anger to work through that month because he, he's gotten a lot more positive, but you know, and I've done some rants too. I mean, look, I mean, there's times where, uh, I get ticked off about stuff too, and I and I need to vent. But uh, and I and I don't mind vent, venting publicly. But usually, I feel like if I want to if I want to spend the time to put my voice out there, it's going to be for something that I'm I, I'm going to support. Well, and here's the thing: is is I I love the you know pr- promote what you love ideal. Uh, I I think it's fantastic to. To try to focus your energies on just talking about things that you dig, uh, and, and maybe, you know, don't really focus on things that you don't like. But at the same time, that, that Pollyanna attitude can get kind of old, and there are things out there that suck. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm, this is, it's my mindset, I guess, because, uh, you know, every story, every movie, every show is somebody's favorite. And whether that sounds, because there's some things out there that really can't be, but um, uh, but <laughs> it's true. I mean, everybody has a different tolerance for things, and sometimes I don't understand why, you know, somebody doesn't like something that I like, or how somebody could like this or that or the other thing. Somebody Uve ball. <laughs> well, it's probably Uve ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's been set. We know that, <laughs> but you know, so, you know, and I could, I could get online and I could do a podcast and I could be like, you know, I'm going to dump on something that every, that you guys like, but I don't like it when someone does that to me. Uh, right, so, right. uh, and I certainly don't think it's worth my energies to, to, to do that. So I've just come to accept that there's certain things out there that are just not for me. And, and rather than say that's bad. Or that's horrible, or that sucks. I just say that's not for me. 
Um, now there are times when I'm like, Ooh, they missed the boat on that. And there's, you know, things that you can look at and, and say, Hey, that, that wasn't very good. Uh, but nevertheless, I, you know, there's stuff that I like that, you know, I can't, I can't ration. (laughs) It's just like, I just like it. That's all it's, yeah, the story's stupid and the acting's bad and blah, 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 but I like it. So, you know, whatever. Well, there, and there comes a time when, your fandom comes into play because, uh, you know, as we've learned being on Earth Station Who, uh, and, and certainly as we've learned being comic book fans, there are times when something you love, you know, you feel like is, is being assaulted by whatever creative team is doing whatever it's doing. And I'm not talking about Moffat here, and I'm not talking about DC here, I'm not talking about anything in particular. But I'm talking about any long-lived franchise, whether it be Doctor Who or Batman or the X-Men or whatever. If you love a franchise, chances are there's going to come a time where things are being done with that franchise that you don't care for. And I, I for one, am not going to just say, well, it's still the franchise, and I still have to love it because it's the franchise. I'm going to say I'm not happy with what's going on, and I don't hate the franchise. I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not done with Batman because you know a, a writer has overstayed their welcome or, or you know whatever. Uh, but I am going to say, look, I'm just not happy with it right now, and I'm not going to tell anybody else that they shouldn't be unhappy with it. But I am going to express my feelings about it. Yeah, and I and and that's that's perfectly you know I mean obviously that's acceptable I'm not, that doesn't need my permission to do that or whatever so and I and but I, I think I do I want your permission Mike <laughs> you, <laughs> to be dissatisfied you you have my permission to do whatever you want sir because uh, you are doing just fine just fine so just just keep it up. Um, okay. Uh, I, uh, but you know, cause you kind of feel that way when you're like talking about some of this stuff. Cause it's, it, it's the, the way the fandom works and it's kind of crazy and kooky. And I, I don't know if the internet has really brought us any closer or just made us, uh, you know, want to beat each other over the heads. Uh, but, uh, I, I certainly think that there are times where, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, there are certain things that I, I've liked. Uh, almost all my life and at certain points you, you, there comes a time when i'm like you know you ask yourself wow do i do i still like this because i don't feel like i do um right uh whether it's uh i <laughs> whether it's music i mean i used to you know and when and i don't know if uh i think our generation may be unique in the fact that uh, I don't know if other generations really had this collector mentality of of having to have everything and and to right. keep on getting it. Once you're in, you're in. Like there's no like, yeah. oh well, I only read, you know, I only read that book every once in a while, that comic every once in a while, or oh, I only watch that show every once in a while. It's like what, like. How can you like miss it? Like, oh, well, you know, it's just, it's just not my, you know, if it's on, I'll watch it. If not, then, I'm, you know, if I happen to remember that it's on, it's like, how can you forget? You know, it's like, um, so there's, there's that kind of weird and I'm, and I'm definitely in that. I mean, I don't know if it's a, a an addictive personality or what, but I mean, it's like, I, I have to fight that collector mentality. Something. Well, that, that's a, 
That's a great point and something I hadn't really thought about because the generation before us... My parents us, don't understand. <laughs> no, no. Well, the generation before us didn't have the luxury of collecting everything. You know, they, they didn't... They didn't have that need for bullshit that we have because they couldn't. Like, they were raised with, you know, you, you take your money and you go buy your loaf of bread and your, you know, if you're lucky, a soda and maybe you can go see a movie. But as far as collector stuff, they just didn't have that mentality, it's, you know, that uh, you, you made money to support the family. Yeah, absolutely. And, that was it. And, and my parents are lovely, beautiful people. I love them. Uh, they are awesome folks. But we are different. They, it, they cannot comprehend why I would want to buy a movie or a TV right. series. Like, right. why you've seen that? Why would you want to yeah. watch it again? Uh, or you are, you know, now over 40. Why are you buying toys? Uh, why right, are you right, going, right. what, what are you doing in Toys R Us? Are you getting something for your nephew? No, I'm getting something for me. What? <laughs> like, it's just inconceivable for them because that's the, you know, that's just the, they totally don't understand that. And it, it's a weird kind of thing. And sometimes, you know, I think a lot of us take it too far. Uh, certainly, you know, as far as, uh, managing budgets and everything, it can get really stupid. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's like, and you know, you sometimes, you know, the rational, quote unquote, rational side of me just is like, what are you doing? And I just want to burn it all, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, dude, I have those moments too where I, I'll come downstairs and I'll look around and I'll want to sell everything yeah. and never do it again. I'll think, what are you doing? Why are you not investing in like stocks or bonds or mutual funds or whatever the fuck it is grownups do? <laughs> Why do you have all of this? Get rid of it all. And then that moment passes and I go buy another Godzilla figure. <laughs> um, but I, I think that generation before us didn't have the means for frivolous stuff or, or weren't raised by people who had the means, I guess. And the generation after us maybe just didn't give a shit. I, I don't know. I don't I, I I feel like a lot of the the sort of nihilistic attitude, the the coolness of not caring came in that the the millennial generation because the eighties, you know, we came up in the eighties of the, the me, you know, sort of the me movement, yep. the, the do what you want, the you are important and you need to satisfy every urge that you have. You worked hard. You deserve a reward. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, we, we had that of, and, and also everything was at our fingertips. We were the first generation that every piece of entertainment available to us was available in some kind of financially obtainable form. Every cartoon had action figures. Every comic book had action figures or posters or, or you know, what, whatever the merchandise was. Like, you and I came up with the merchandising boom, with the licensing boom. Yeah. 
It, I've always, uh, I, I remember reading one time an article that said that our, our generation, uh, is the most ad savvy that had ever been, uh, uh, out there because we grew up with seeing something on TV, getting it and being disappointed. Um, so that we, we should look at ads with this, uh, sharpness, this critical eye that no other generation had had before. And I, I, I read that and I'm like, well, that makes sense. Except I just saw this ad for McRib and now I want a McRib. <laughs> Holy shit. You're not kidding, dude. I was talking about the McRib at work today. And I'm not talking about saying, I'd like a McRib. I'm talking about I was a preacher trying to convert the masses to the way of McRib. I, You don't understand. There are guys at work who have not had a McRib. And I was like, you don't understand the McRib. And and they looked it up on because we have one computer console in the room that can actually get on the internet because there's stuff with my job there's stuff that we need to be able to get online and look at like current events and stuff like that. So I told the guy, I told our team leader, I was like, look, get online, look up McRib, and you will find that there are websites devoted. There's a McRib locator, dude. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, no, there are people who make road trips to the McRib. And he's like, come on, man. And I was like, no, get on there. And he looks and he's like, Dave, there's an app to find McRibs. And I was like, that's how fucking good it is. <laughs> and here's what, okay, this is going to be funny. All right. I don't know if you realize this or not. I don't, Mike, I don't know how much of a devotee of the McRib you are. I love the McRib. I dabble. I must say, I, when it, when it's available, I will probably purchase, uh, I will make a run and I'll probably purchase a couple, but, uh, I am not, uh, an avid McRibber. Here's my devotion to the McRib. I am fully aware of the fact that the McRib and Monopoly happen at the same time. Interesting. I am also aware that last year there was no McRib. So, my my supervisor today looking in investigating the McRib finds out that last year McDonald's was so devoted to developing new menu items that they did not pursue the McRib. And I knew that shit. <laughs> Even though I didn't know the reason behind it, I knew there was no McRib last year, and I've been angry about it since last year. Wow. It has Dude, been a while since I've had one, I must say. I, it, it didn't dawn on me exactly how long. but Typically, um, the McRib and McNop- Monopoly hit at the same time, and right at the tail end of the McRib release is when the eggnog shakes hit. Because usually I can have a McRib and an eggnog shake in the same meal. Wow. Last year, this did not happen, which is probably good for my health. I was going to say, I'm like, well... <laughs> right. You don't want both of those things in one meal. Um, that's that's why I'm on Lipitor now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, last year there was no McRib. So, so, anyway, yes, you are correct. You and I are in a generation that is unusually aware of advertising... And the tropes of advertising and, and the effect that that has on us. And yet, even being aware of it, we're very susceptible to it. 
Uh, yeah, it's well. I mean, they've gotten really savvy, haven't they? I mean, they they know what they're doing. I mean, yeah. you know, the people that put together, you know, those Publix ads know that they're going to make me cry. Uh, the people who have put together, like you know, the the uh, the steak ads know that they're going to make me drool. You know, yeah, so yeah. they're they're good at it. I mean, I, I you know, and uh, uh, and despite the fact that I grew up with it, and yes, many 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 times have I saw something online. And craved it or desired it and got it in person and said, whoa, this is not uh, as cool as advertised. Yet it doesn't stop me from uh, from being susceptible to it over and over again. Well, that's why like T-Fury, those T-Shirt of the Day, all those T-Shirt of the Day sites, that's why they're so successful is because one – they're they're hitting some facet of your nerd fandom and two they're telling you act now or you will never get it yeah absolutely that i mean it's brilliant and and i don't know if it's a gimmick or if it's a legal thing because i you know well, hey it can be both right yeah yeah that's true that's true <laughs> because i don't understand how these guys are are making shirts with pikachu on them and not getting sued by nintendo but they're doing it because and by I, the time Nintendo says shut it down, it's already it's gone. It's down, right? It's already gone. Yep. I, I and I, I guess that's that's what's at play, but that just seems so crass to me. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, there's no other explanation for it because I I certainly couldn't put Pikachu shirts up on the Needless Things store. <laughs> you know, now that we're this deep in the conversation, I think it's a good time to introduce you to the Needless <laughs> Things audience. Um. So, so Mike Gordon, you are here. Uh, we're talking about stuff. Uh, what, what is mainly, I, I first got to know you for being part of ESO, but technically I first met you because of Tiki Zombie, because I, I have, even though I don't have a clear recollection of it, I know for a fact that the first time I ever interacted with you was at a Heroes Con several years ago. Um, at your Tiki Zombie booth. So what you, you know, you're, you're Tiki Zombie guy, but what, what's your, what's your bio? What, what is, what, what are your credentials? Well, I, you know, I'm a writer. Um, I'm a publisher. Um, I'm a podcaster, uh, comic fanboy. Um, you know, uh, I, I try, I, I dip, um, I dip my pen in a lot of things, uh, but I, I think folk. I mostly uh, I like to do uh, storytelling, creating. Uh, that's that's my passion and always has been. Uh, so uh, my comics is my first love. So writing comics, I, I unfortunately I can't draw. Uh, I mean I can, but it's just not anything anybody would want to buy. Plus, it would be so. It's what's really frustrating about the drawing part is that yes, I can, um, but uh, I couldn't do it as much as uh, uh, as as well as other people who are just so good at it. So right, right. Uh, I, I mean, I know I can write. You know, I know what uh, how I want the characters to be. I know how I want the plot to be, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, it, you know, handing it off to someone who can a skilled person who can take that and and just make it uh, work is 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 satisfying in itself so um so yeah uh tiki zombie was uh probably the uh, biggest thing that i've got going on for me the tiki zombie series there's 
two issues. The third one should be out uh, this year, uh, and then we're uh, producing four and five next year. Next year will actually be hard for me to believe. Next year is going to be this fifth anniversary. So. We've got some special stuff going on to that. Uh, I've always liked the tiki culture, so that's been uh, fantastic to play around in. And uh, But we also published some other things. Uh, New Legend Productions is my company, and uh, it's uh, co-owned by uh, my cousin, Bill Kilhorn. And we basically uh, take our own projects and publish it. He's got a book called Cryptozo that uh, he has published. Uh, the first issue is out, and it's just, it's brilliant. It's about a uh, a girl uh, who is a cryptozoologist, a uh, circus performer. Her family owns a circus. They, uh, on their travels, they run in across exotic creatures, uh, cryptids, and, uh, you know, they, they take them into protection of the circus sometimes, or, you know, they have adventures that way. It's a, it's a great series with, uh, Bill does some great writing on it, and, um, uh, the artist by Heidi Arnold, who's a local artist here. Uh, I should probably also point out that Tiki Zombie artist is uh, Peter Cutler, who's local to Atlanta. Who's who, fucking amazing. He absolutely is. I uh, I had the pleasure of working with Peter on a project that uh, failed. Like it, I had gotten kind of uh, asked to do a writing gig on a comic, and Peter was kind of assigned to it. And uh, so I, I turned in some pages uh, of, of script, and then Peter uh, illustrated a few of them, and he blew my mind. Uh, he absolutely like took it in ways that I I hadn't expected. And uh, the project, as I said, didn't happen. But when I thought of Tiki Zombie, when the Tiki Zombie came to me, uh, Peter was at the top of my list because I knew his style was exactly what I, I wanted. I knew I wanted to work with him. And, uh, and, and I, it's just fun because I don't have to, I don't have to be so specific when I'm, when I'm writing. I don't have to go panel one, panel two, panel three, and, you know, ex, you know, kind of tell the story for him because he knows in his head, I don't, you know, I don't know how he reaches the conclusions that he does. But he knows it in his head, and he'll bring it together in ways that uh, are just pure genius. So um, it's been a fantastic collaboration working with him on the book. Well, and that's really impressive because, uh, you know, you uh, we live in a really good time for, for comic book nerds because there's so many resources available where you get to see the workings of the process of making comics. Like if you're the... If you're not reading Death of Wolverine right now, you're missing out on a fascinating look into the the process of making a comic book because they're putting in the scripts and the breakdowns and every like that comic is like a Blu-ray with special features. So you get to see every step of the process of creating that comic and it's interesting because I know there are differences between guys that send, you know, there are writers who send panels to the artists, like storyboard type panels to the artists. And the, if, if you and Peter work in such a way that you just send him words and he comes up with the images, that's amazing. I, it's it's a very different. I mean, every there's no one set way format to to write a comic uh, to work with a with a, an artist uh, if you're a writer. Um, there's just I, it's no 
writer, no two writers that I know work the same way. And you don't, I don't even work the same way with different artists. Uh, uh, when I worked on the, uh, in, in, Visible Scarlett O'Neill graphic novel, which is based on a character from the forties. Um, that was more, uh, that script was a lot more like panel, panel, panel. Although, you know, with the, with the caveat that if the artist had a better idea, we were open to that. So sure, sure. Um, but because I don't want to, because Peter's style is so unique, uh, his storytelling ability is so, um, Peter really, uh, that I don't want to do anything to sort of limit that. So basically my scripts are just some dialogue and then basically this needs to happen. This character needs to do this and this and this and, and just go. And then I'll see the pencils and, you know, sometimes he's right on the mark and blows me away. Other times it's, you know, we have to talk about it a little bit more times than not though. He blows me away with, I'm just like, oh my God, I never even like, I mean, he makes me look really good. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, but it's a, you know, it's a fun book to work on. And, uh, I thank, I thank you for that because, uh, you know, as much as I I love doing the podcasting, uh, like I said, the, the comic work is, is what my true love is. So, uh, Tiki Zombie has been a joy to work with. It's something that I can call my own. I'm very proud of it. Uh, and, uh, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff happening if you're a Tiki Zombie fan. Um, the other books that we've got going on, uh, like I said, Cryptozo is a, a great book that I, I helped put together. I'm not the main writer of that. Obviously, that's Bill's book, but, uh, uh, the Invisible Scarlet O'Neill graphic novel was a great experience to work on, and I still love that character. Um, and we're working on, um, actually, I work with the son of the original creator of Invisible Scarlet O'Neill, the character from the 40s. So, oh, that's cool. We're working together to put together a, a a book, a nice collection of the original strips for that his father did. So, oh, very cool, very. So cool. that's really exciting, and uh, and then another book that uh, just got penciled. It's it's completely penciled now, and I couldn't be uh, happier with the way it's turning out. Is a book that I'm co-writing with Bobby Nash, the award-winning Bobby Nash. That's right. Uh, called Strong Will, and that's uh, it's a different book. For anything that we've done before, but it's, it's something that's right in my wheelhouse. It's an action adventure, uh, epic. And it's just, a, it's a fun book. And, uh, I, I'm really excited to get this out there. Um, uh, Bobby and I thought of the idea, uh, at, uh, as we were traveling home from a convention and, uh, working with him has been great. Uh, kind of like, a, you know, you hinted earlier that, uh, you know, when you met Bobby, it kind of, you know, I mean, meeting, meeting Bobby Nash opens doors. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a fact. That's a fact. So, so uh, I'm grateful, uh, for him for that alone. But, uh, also, uh, the friendship that he's had and, and, you know, he's, he's been a great sounding board for everything that I've, you know, done and worked on. And then to work with him has just been great too. So I can't wait for this book to come out because I think a lot of people are going to be, uh, really pleased with that too. Well, you, um, you definitely have knack and I don't know if it's, an understanding of, of tropes or if it's just sort of a, a natural storytelling flow. But in, in the first issue of Tiki Zombie, you introduce a lot of weird concepts, <laughs> but they're immediately 
acceptable. Like they're very, you know, the fact that there's an ancient shrunken head there, it, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> In any other comic, it, it would be like, wait, wait, what? But it just, it flows into the story and Tiki Z as a character, very li- word wise, very little is done to establish him, but just through the actions and the story, you get what he is and where he's coming from. There, there's definitely a talent, and, and it's probably mutual between you and Peter, but there's definitely a talent for storytelling there that, that's very admirable. But where, where did you get that? What are your influences? Like, who are the guys that you learned your storytelling from? Wow. Um, that is, uh, you know, I, I've been addicted to comics, books, uh, novels, TV, movies for as long as I can remember. Uh, so, uh, they were always an escape for me and, uh, uh, but more than, I mean, they weren't just an escape because I, I knew at an early age, uh, that I wanted to be part of it. I didn't want to just watch and read. I wanted to help create, uh, some of my earliest memories are when I, I did, I did fancy myself an artist for a while. Uh, I can recall times in, in my, um, in my youth where I thought I was going to grow up and be a comic book artist. Um, so that was always on, on, on the table for me. But then I saw, <laughs> basically I saw star Wars and, uh, and, and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I said, you know, this movie thing is really cool. So, <laughs> uh, but I was not only just fascinated with the movies. I mean, I enjoy them, you know, I've seen them, uh, you know, we all have, right. All of us geeks, you know, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no news there, but, um, I was fascinated by even more so than the movies themselves. I was fascinated by the way they were made. Uh, they had, you know, some good documentaries at the time that were, and they keep getting better and better, but, uh, you know, th- whenever they'd have some sort of behind the scenes thing, uh, I would, I just ate that stuff up. Um, uh, I got magazines, like Starlog, uh, that, uh, explored how things were made. And, uh, I just, uh, you know, um, really liked learning about how to tell stories in different formats. And, uh, because I think it's, you need to be true to that format. You can't just go, well, I have a screenplay. Let's make a comic out of it. You kind of have to, you know, stay right, true right. to the format that you're, uh, that you're, that you're actually making the thing out of. So, um, but uh uh it's really you know it's it gives me so much pleasure to hear you say that about Tiki Zombie. I mean Tiki Zombie came came out of a discussion I had at DragonCon. Uh it was born out of DragonCon. Yes, it was conceived at DragonCon. Uh that as were many anything. things. Humans, <laughs> ideas, who knows uh, dra- what yeah. else. Probably Tiki diseases. Z's a, a DragonCon baby. Uh and, uh, it, uh, but, you know, we were at, uh, by the Sheridan pool. Um, I think Tom Trainer, who ran the comic area, uh, was giving, he's been big into Tiki. He was at this Tiki theme party going on. There was a band. I can't even remember the name of the band, but they were playing something that was, uh, kind of like, you know, like, um, Horror rock or you know rockabilly that kind, kind of, of thing. Kind of this like surf horror thing that happened in like the late nineties, probably. Absolutely, like the Bomboras Absolutely. or something. Yep, 
and they were, you know, I think they were screaming the word zombie a few times. <laughs> so it kind of hit in my head and I was surrounded by like all these tiki magazines or whatever. And, uh, I was sitting, I was sitting at a table with a bunch of other comic writer or writers, novels, novelists, comic writers and whatnot. And, uh, just out of the blue, I just said, Tiki Zombie, that would be a great name for a band. And, uh, and the, the room, the, the table got kind of silent. And, you know, as a writer, you just have to kind of go, that's mine, by the way. Right, right. Everybody else <laughs> sitting there with you was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was interesting coming up with the premise and everything too. I mean, once you had the name Tiki Zombie, it's like, what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, in my case, I, I, I let it stew for a while and, uh, I decided to create this sort of, I think it's very akin to like something like Scooby-Doo where I just took some characters and, uh, give them sort of a, uh, a little mystery or an adventure to, to go on. And, uh, cause I think in the end of the day, it's all about the characters. Once you create the characters, you, all you can just, you know, you, all you have to do is throw something at them, see how they react, write it down and boom, there's your story. Sure. So. Sure. What was your, now, now how did you come up? I, I, I imagine Tiki Zombie wasn't the first thing you wrote. What, what is, uh, where did you start? Were you like writing stories in high school or, or before that? I mean, I was writing, uh, I was writing stories and, uh, doing all that from, uh, early age. Um, I, I can't even remember when I wasn't doing it. Uh, I, I would write stories, you know, back in the day I'd write poems and, you know, all that kind of silly stuff that you do then. But, uh, uh, I, you know, played action figures and I would just, you know, play for hours with in big, huge stories, um, that I would, I would do with, uh, you know, crossovers between, you know, the Mego uh, Spidey on the on the bridge of the Mego Enterprise, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, for I, I was always doing it. Um, I had uh, I fancied, like I said, uh, I was inspired by Star Wars. I was inspired by Raiders. So I started making films. Uh, my parents got me a Betamax. Uh, oh, nice! Por portable, and by portable, I mean like. If you were if you were to try to take this unit now to uh, fly somewhere, it, they would charge you extra because it would be over the exceeded weight. <laughs> this thing, this thing was huge, and uh, uh, the battery would only last like maybe twenty minutes if you were lucky. Uh, and, uh, I didn't have a film crew or anything like that. So usually it was just my cousin, myself or whoever I could, my friends at the time scrounge up and, and just do these little, these, these short little films. So, uh, you know, we, we attempted to do a, a, a couple of Raiders, uh, Indiana Jones movies. Uh, we did a couple of silly little horror movies kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I really thought that uh, going through, actually all through high school and everything, I thought I was going to write and direct films. So that uh, that's what, and I was writing scripts a lot, and I, I went to college. I got a decent scholarship uh, for films, but uh, things kind of, uh, I still was doing it then, um, but it, um, it became something different. And I, I don't know exactly what caused me to to lose 
the the passion for making movies. But uh, did I, you learn how it all worked? Well, there was that. I mean, I, I went out <laughs> to Hollywood and did some studio tours and everything like that. And I and I went on some film sets and everything like that. And uh, I, I came back and I did some short films and I worked on some short films and I worked for I did an internship with uh, the uh, a, a place that made industrials. Uh, that, uh, so corporate video making. Sure. Uh, I was an intern at the British Film Institute in London for five months. Uh, oh, wow. So that, um, and, and that was incredible. And, but it was not, I mean, that wasn't hands on. Uh, that, uh, my internship in Britain was pretty much, uh, an office job where I was going through, uh, their archives and, and helping them, uh, decide whether or not to salvage some of their, their, their prints that they had. So it was very different. And I, and I got involved with marketing over there too. So, uh, but that was a great experience. I wouldn't trade that for anything, but, uh, there was a, and it was very difficult for me to get, you know, the movies are not something, or at least then, and maybe even to still to this day, there's not something that you can do by yourself. Right, right. Like if you're gonna make a movie, you need to go. Okay, well, I need this, this, this. I need some money. I need some. I need some actors. I need this and that and the other thing. And I never really had much uh, luck uh, getting that kind of group together. So uh, that was a stumbling block. And to be honest, I just had a lot more fun just writing. So I continued to do that. And uh, um, and then I, I've always, like I said, I got back into comics. I've always loved comics, but of course during my college years, as we all do, I kind of got out of that for a little while. And then you, I got- You get distracted. Yes, exactly. That's it. <laughs> What's this? Booze? What's right. this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, women? You know, uh, so yeah, comics? What the? No, uh, I'm not doing that. So that's nonsense. <laughs> Uh, although I do remember, and that was a really interesting time too, cause that was right at the verge when like a lot of independents were really making a huge impact. Like I almost wish I paid attention then because this is when like James O'Barr came out with the crow. This is when, uh, Eastman and Laird did the turtles and came out with that. Uh, yeah. it was like a magic time for indie creators then. And I'm like, Sometimes I look back on it and I'm like, man, if I'd only been paying attention then. Uh, but that's, you know, whatever. But so. you can still go back and read that stuff. I mean, the, the revolution that those guys created, you know, the ripples are still out there today. I mean, I, that's, that's where, you know, Dark Knight Returns came from. That's where the darker takes uh, on everything came from, really. And it's, it's funny that the reflection of Frank Miller, because I mean, that's where a lot of the Ninja Turtle stuff came from was Frank Miller's work on Daredevil. Uh, it, it's funny how that kind of bounced back across the medium. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a great time as a reader, but I'm also talking about as a creator, I wish I'd gotten like, you know, like really into comics as a creator then. Oh I, I yeah, think, yeah. I think that would have been like an amazing time to, I mean, it, you know, if Eastman and Laird and they were, not too far from me because here I was in Massachusetts right. and right, these right. guys had stumbled upon something that would turn out to be, you know, so huge that no one could have expected that. 
But yeah, that would have been a time where if you could have gotten your foot in the door, then absolutely it, it, it would have been in. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but you know, like I said, I don't, I don't really look back and, and do that, but I, I, I it, you know, and, and regret that sort of thing, but I look back and I'm like, man, that was, you know, uh, I was just doing my thing. And sure. I, I, but after college, I, I got back to, uh, I went to actually Orlando, uh, and I worked, um, I tried to do some, uh, film work down there and try to get in on there. But it was so discouraging. Um, it was, it was really, it was really pathetic. It was, it was like they had like groups down there, like, uh, actors union groups or what have you. And they would have these meetings and they would be like, they would be like alcohol anonymous or something. Cause people would, you know, they'd have a, they, no, absolutely. There would be like about, I don't know, 40, 50 people in the room and there'd be a podium and somebody would, you know, do an introduction or whatever and say, thanks for coming out. And then people would come up and be like, Hi, my name is Joe. And we all go, Hey, Joe. He'd be like, Yeah, I was an extra in Swamp Thing last week. And we'd be oh like, my Ooh, gosh. yeah. You know, we all start clapping. And, you know, it was just like, I was like, Really? Do I want to be part of this? You know, and it just, uh, uh, so that was a little discouraging too. So I was kind of like, Well, I'm just going to try to make my own way and, uh, struggle for a bit. But like I said, I, I really got back into comics and I thought, you know, I need to pitch my comics ideas to some people because there was just the main, you know, the main guys. And uh, I will tell you, the turning point for me came with a, a small convention that was put on here by uh, the guys that run a comic store called Galactic Quest. And they had a, a presentation on there put on by uh, Mark Stansel at Terminus Media. And that guy, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to Mark because he opened my eyes so wide. Uh, basically, he basically said, "You know what? In this day and age, you can do your own comic." It's, now, when when was this? What what year was this? Oh, uh, this was about six, seven years ago. Okay, so it'd be two thousand six, two thousand seven, I think. Okay, and and I came out of there and I was like, "Wow, you can't because you, you know the printing capabilities, the, the this, that, and the other thing. You know, you can really just you know you don't need." Uh, you know, anybody else's approval, so to speak, you know, and, and, and the independent circuit again was thriving, um, again. So there were all these independent books coming out that, uh, that I'd go to shows like Heroes and they'd be full of all these creators that were out there, you know, with their, with their ideas. And I'm like, this is really cool. And this isn't, this atmosphere, this vibe in this room is not like Hollywood. It's not like the movie industry where people are just not that cool, it seems like, in some cases. You know what I mean? See, that's interesting to me because I'm – I am – whether I like it or not, I'm very much a brand name guy. I I like – you know, I like my mutants. I like my Batmans. I I like the recognizable stuff. It is a challenge to get me into – like it's amazing that I read Saga. (laughs) It's, it's amazing. It's, it's purely a credit to Brian K. Vaughn and, and the respect I have just for his name that I picked that book up in the first place. I'm, I'm not one that goes after the unfamiliar. So from your perspective, how, how is the indie market so successful now? Well, 
it was there was a time when uh when I was growing up that indies weren't I mean it was either Marvel, DC, Charlton, Archie, Harvey, that was it, you know? Sure. Uh, kind of like we only had, you know, four channels growing up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but like cable and satellite and now, you know, whatever, infinity, whatever they want to call it, Xfinity, like now you have so many, so many choices and they're more available. So just like TV has, uh, prior to, you know, when I was growing up, you just could watch movies either in the theater or on TV. Now, I mean, then the, the VCRs came out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now you can watch movies on your phone. You can watch movies anytime. Like it's, it's amazing to me how far we come, but just like every other form of media, comics are a lot more accessible and there's a lot more types. Now, sure, DC, Marvel, Archie, they are the big boys. They, 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 they are going to be, uh, always, well, I don't want to say always, but you know, they're the ones that are doing their thing. I think the important thing for me as a creator is to not try to imitate them, not try to be them in terms of I, I want to make the next Superman or Batman. Uh, but I, I, I want to do something that is not being done by them. I, I want to do something that, uh, I do, I basically my rule of thumb is I want to produce stories, comics, what have you that I want to read. So if, if I saw like, if I see, if I, if I was walking around a convention or a store or whatever, and I saw Tiki zombie, would I buy that? Well, the issues that I've done, absolutely. Because, yeah. uh, nothing has, uh, there's nothing. That's the test for me. When I, when I see something, when I see the pages by Peter, when I put the book together, when I see the cover, da, 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 I say to myself, is that something that I would buy? And if the answer is yes, then it's good. If not, then it has to go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of like that. And, and, and I tried in the nineties. Now this was been, yeah, the late nineties, early, early two thousands. They had some conventions here in Atlanta, comic conventions. And I tried to, to, uh, get advice and pitch to pros that were working for the big two. Mm-hmm. And that was a, not a great experience. Uh, and it, it's not so much that my ideas were crap or anything. It's just that the, the attitude was very different than it is now. Um, I don't know whether they were scared uh, of losing their jobs, but one comic professional and, and, and somebody who I respected because I read his work a lot, uh, he basically told me when I asked for advice, he basically said, why would I want to help you? You're just out to steal my job. I, you know, that, that's not an uncommon story. And I think, I don't think it's so much that that attitude's not there anymore. I think it's that that attitude can now be widely reported and that it's not an attractive attitude to have. I think you're always going to have, you know, people that are, are negative and people that are like that. So, uh, but the, like I said, the, the, the prevailing, uh, like wind at that time was very difficult. I mean, trying to get people to look at my stuff, trying to get, uh, people to, to, to listen to pitches and all that kind of stuff. I didn't get very far. It was pretty much a, a closed, 
a closed door, uh, right. much like, you know, I felt like the movie industry was and, do, and getting all that stuff accomplished. So uh, it was extremely frustrating. It wasn't. So once it was presented to me that, hey, you can do this yourself. Uh, you know, from soup to nuts, you can create a comic, not just, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, uh, I just wouldn't run and write it, but no, I mean, you can do everything. I mean, you can, you're the, you're the editor in chief. You're the main guy. And I'm like, that, uh, that sounds appealing. I'd, I'd like to, I, you know, at first I was like, I'd like to try this. I'm just going to do like for my first issue, I want to do as much as I can myself. So with Tiki Zombie 1, I did everything that I could do myself apart from drawing it because right. I, that was Peter's job. But everything else from the lettering, from the layouts, from the all the decisions to working with the printers to every single thing uh, I did myself. So uh, that was my uh, learning experience. And it, in, in some cases, it was not as easy as I would have liked, but it was – it was so doable and it gave me something productive and constructive that I could do as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to, you know, pitch another story to somebody who's going to like turn me down. So, uh, it was so much more rewarding than that. And, you know, all these conventions like Heroes, et cetera, et cetera, were now giving me a, an outlet to actually sell the book and, and put it in people's hands where we didn't have that before. I mean, the, the, it seems like I think the convention circuit has gotten bigger and bigger and there's more conventions. So you can actually just go and set up a table, put your books up there and say, you know, and, and sell them as opposed to before it was like, you didn't really have that option. You know, where do you think it's easier to build a presence at on the convention circuit or online? Because it seems to me that as much as it's nice to have the internet, as a means of, of distribution and self-promotion and, and whatever else, it, it almost seems like it's, it's kind of hard to get people's attention because there's so much on the internet. Yeah, it's, it's a, the internet's a crapshoot. I think, I mean, obviously as any, anybody creator, any creator that's out there, uh, who wants to reach people, needs to be available on the internet. I mean, it's just at, at, at a time when, you know, if you're hard to find, guess what? People are not going to find you. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you can, you can sit there and hope that people are going to look for you, but that's, that's a tough thing to ask because there's a lot of things, a lot of cat videos out there that are diverting people's attention. So, <laughs> and, and, and uh, so you have to, you have to be out there. Uh, and you have to establish, you know, uh, a good, you don't have to do everything, uh, you know, but you have to have some presence. Well, and it's tough because there's so many different facets of having an internet presence. There's Twitter, there's Tumblr, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there, you know, there, there's so many different places to maintain a presence in so many different ways, you know, I, I, I kind of marvel at the people who seem to be able to hit all the sweet spots in, in this, in an efficient manner. Absolutely. I can't, I can't, I, I, I try my, my hardest, but I, it's, it's almost impossible. Um, it, 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 that's a full-time job in and of itself, you know, yeah. maintaining, uh, social media as much as there is now. I think you just have to, and my, Look, what I do is I just, uh, 
I just pick one or two that I'm comfortable with and stay there and, and use the others as spare, as much as I can. But as long as I've got a presence somewhere and people can find like, you know, it's basically as long as I've got my store, you know, uh, I'll do what I can to direct people to that store, but I've got like a place that people know that they can reach me. And where is that store, Mike? <laughs> that store is on newlegendmike.com. You can also go to newlegendproductions.com as well. So those are uh, the two websites that I, I use the most. And they have links to all my social media stuff and all that kind of stuff too. There, That's basically, that's basically New Legend Central. Uh, you can get, uh, you can find out about all our books there. Uh, certainly my books as well. And uh, even some links to the podcast that I do. So. But I think you have to have that sort of presence there. And as opposed to, you know, conventions are cool. Um, they're limited in scope because X amount of people go to a convention. And, and certainly these days, the, the, the type of convention that you go to, you have to be a little bit smart about that because some of them are going to be uh, more uh, available uh, as far as your fan, uh, as uh, possible fans than others. Um, so I think you have to, um, you know, just try them because you never know a show is different from uh, any other show. Uh, but I, I absolutely love conventions. Uh, I have, and I can honestly say this, I have never had a horrible time at a convention. Uh, well, and that, that's a whole other kind of circus because not only do you have to maintain your presence, you know, at a table in the artist alley or whatever the appropriate spot is to to try and push your your product in yourself but you know you you go to panels because that gets your name out absolutely and you you know you there are lots of different things at at conventions to do as well yes uh whenever i go to a convention uh there needs to be three of me uh because there's the one person who's, you know, uh, selling Tiki Zombie and the rest of the New Legend books, and he's behind the table, and he loves interacting with people. He loves talking about uh, his books to people as well as uh, other books with other creators. There's uh, and doing the networking thing. There's also uh, the part of me that is uh, the podcaster who likes doing panels and uh, doing interviews with people and setting that up and and representing the the podcast and the shows that we do. Uh, and then there's the third part of me that, uh, it just wants to be a fan and run around and, and dive into the, uh, back issue bins and, uh, and go get someone, you know, this person's autograph or go to this panel or listen to this person talk and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I, you know, I was a lot of time and it never is more of a challenge to juggle those three than Dragon Con, which is my favorite convention of the year to go to. Um, because there's just, even if there was one of me, there'd be so much to do that I couldn't handle it. So, uh, for the, the three parts of me, it's, uh, it's amazing. And yet there's still the potential to do what needs to be done. I mean, uh, this, this past Dragon Con was one of the best ones I've ever been to, uh, personally, but also, um, for New Legend, cause we sold out on, on Tiki Zombie 2, we uh, sold a lot of copies of our other books, too, and met a lot of new readers, which was amazing. And you don't expect that from a uh, a show like Dragon Con, but uh, there was a lot of people there that were interested in comics. Well, and I think that's, you know, you may not have quite as wide a reach and you may not be quite as easily available at a convention as you are online, 
but I think the conventions are your opportunity to make the strongest impact because people get to meet you and see your passion live and in person as opposed to seeing it on a website page. I, I, I've got to think that that's valuable time, that those are valuable impressions that you're making there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, but I think, you know, both are vital. Uh, both have their pluses and minuses. Uh, there's, uh, um, you know, like I said, you kind of have to be smart. I mean, I've done a lot of different kinds of conventions, uh, and I still can't say that I know the, you know, know the score, sure. so to speak. It's not like I, I can go, hey, that convention is going to really be good for us because it may or may not. So, and that, that's not different conventions. I mean, that could be the same convention, different years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so I've had completely different experiences uh, at uh, conventions from year to year. So it, it's something that's constantly evolving. But I personally love to to meet people. I love to to talk with people, and uh, especially about my books, of course. And, <laughs> and but uh, uh, it's a great experience, a great way to do that, and it, it feels so comfortable. But but you, like I said, you have to. It is you know a limited amount of people because you're only really meeting the people that are coming by your table at a certain time. So, you know, the Internet is 24-7. Right, right. I mean, as long as you can, you know, direct people there and, you know, any time you do something, you know, kind of interesting, there you have that, you know, possibility that it could go viral, in which case, you know, boom. Well, and the other thing about the internet is, you know, you, you may post uh, a, a panel or an update or, or whatever it may be on a certain day, but once you post it, it's there forever. You know, people may come across it two years later, but it's still doing you a service. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. the per, the permanence, uh, even, even though attention spans on the internet may be fleeting, the permanence of what you put up there is valuable because I mean, I've, I've got posts from years ago that still get hits and that still get people, you know, every once in a while commenting or, or whatever. So I think there's something to be said for that as well. Yeah, definitely. And then in the more like, uh, the more resources that you have available to people, the more, uh, they take your site seriously. Too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, since this is the, the 31 days of Halloween that we're conducting this interview, cause October I mean, really, the whole month is Halloween. That's how I like to treat it. Absolutely. Uh, and Tiki Zombie certainly, obviously, has elements of the macabre, uh, or, or at least the the supernatural influences. What, what are your early sort of, not necessarily horror, but, you know, spooky influences? What, what are your early memories of sort of getting into that sort of stuff? Haunted Mansion at Disney comes to mind immediately. Uh, that... Uh, ride, uh, you know, between, between that ride, Pirates of the Caribbean, and the Enchanted Tiki Room, which are all pretty close and together. Just two of them. You up it. Absolutely, right? It's like, oh, now I understand where Mike Gordon came from. <laughs> just this, just this, uh, 500 meter stretch on, in, in yeah, Disney World. Yeah, just go down to Orlando. <laughs> Uh, walk in a, a circle that wide and you've got Mike Gordon. That's Absolutely. great. It's, uh, it, it, 
it, you know, it's, 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 it's funny how that's right, right there, but it, 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 you know, you look back and you're like, wow, it's so simple. Really? Can it really be that simple? House. Is that all I, is that all I really wow. amount to? But, um, uh, adventure has always been, that like, adventure land, uh, has been cool, but you know, Haunted Mansion technically isn't an adventure land, although it should be, but it's, uh, more like, uh, it's, you know, it's associated with, or I think it's technically in the same area that the, Prowl of Presidents yeah, and, it's and all that it, kind of stuff. But, uh, Frontierland? Is that right? Is that what that is? Uh, not Frontierland. Nope, not Frontierland. Um, it's, uh, or, oh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, something it's, like that. Yeah, the yeah. Hall of Presidents and the Steamboat Rock. No, the Steamboat's Frontierland, yep. isn't it? Um, but yeah, but they're, but, you know, it, but all it's that pretty stuff close. kind of blends together. Yeah, but I mean, if you look extent. on the map, I mean, they're pretty, all pretty close together. I mean, yeah, so, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know how the, the, the Country Bears Jamboree missed how I missed out on that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that wasn't such an influence, but uh, that'll be in because that's right in that area too. But um, uh, no, I, I, the Haunted Mansion uh, big influence. I had the the record. Uh, uh, I've always kind of liked the more classic and adventure aspects of horror. Uh, uh-huh. I like ghost stories. I'm not a huge fan of gore. Uh, I'm not, um, I did grow up on the slasher films, you know, uh, of the, uh, 70s and 80s. So, uh, you know, it was hard not to, to, you know, to, to sit and watch all the Friday 13th movies that came out and Halloween and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, I really liked, I, I sort of also, because I was so into film and storytelling, I really, you know, started really leaning more towards stuff like that Hitchcock was doing. And learn sure. and, and learning about suspense and and watching those and and, and just falling in love with them. I, the the those those movies are are some of my favorites. And uh, he is, Alfred Hitchcock remains one of my favorite directors of all time and uh, and a huge influence for me. Uh, when I got accepted into college, my paper that I had to write for uh, college to get into college, uh, which was. Who is your most influential person in your life? Was in fact Alfred Hitchcock. So, uh, and then I, I, I did film theory when I was in college too. And I, and I, and I worked with, uh, some folks and, and really broke down and analyzed a lot of, uh, Hitchcock films as well. And the deeper we got, the more I was fascinated by that stuff. So that's always been uh, a big turn on for me as well. So it's mostly the classic stuff. I got to admit, a lot of the stuff that, that hits now, uh, the horror movies, I, it, they're just not for me. I, I've tried, uh, to, uh, get up. I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I'm kind of squeamish. Uh, uh, I saw the last time I went to a horror movie in the theater was House of a Thousand Corpses. And <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, I, I don't feel that that's in your range. And, uh, cause I'm a big Rob Zombie fan, you know? Right, and, right. Uh, and I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I've seen the movie, a lot of the movies that it's based off of, you know, stuff like that. So I, I yeah. did not even expect that, uh, I was going to have the experience that I did when I saw it. It was, uh, it really kind of affected me in a way that I didn't expect. So I haven't really gone out and sought those kind of movies out too much after that. But, uh, I have seen Devil's well, they, Rejects, they got- by the way, but not in the theater. Devil's Rejects is, I mean, that's an entire, that's one of my favorite movies of it's all awesome. time. It's um, different. It's, it's an, in, yes, it's an entirely different experience from, it's a revenge flick, 
But what's so messed up about it is it makes it takes these horrible people and turns them into characters that you want to see succeed. Like by the end of the movie, you're hoping they're going to get away. And that's really messed up and dirty. And like, that's a little trick Rob Zombie plays on you. I, I feel like I, I, I think he's very underrated as a filmmaker. I think a lot of people poo poo him because oh, yeah. he's a rocker. Uh, but I think, you know, in the same way that Tarantino has taken all the things that he grew up with and loved and turned them into his own, his own palette. I think Rob Zombie has done possibly even more with it than Tarantino has, but in a way that I think isn't as mainstream, uh, doesn't have as much mainstream appeal. I, I think Tar- I, I think Zombie did the same thing as Tarantino, but did it in a more focused way, uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I've only seen, I've only, I must say, I've only seen two of his movies. So uh, I've seen uh, How Thousand Down the Corpses, which is basically a mashup of, of a, a bunch of his influences. Yeah, yeah. That but one, Devil's Devil's Reject, you're set, like you said, that really is like him, like standing alone, saying, "This is my movie." Yeah, it's, uh, it's heavy. It, yeah, it's unlike anything else I've seen. Um, and uh, yeah, his other stuff, I, I just haven't got around to see because it's not, you know, like I said, it's not really on my on my radar to see that stuff. I mean, every year I try to do a, a marathon around Halloween of of classic horror movies, but it, they're pretty much just that. Um, yeah, you know, the classics, like because I still haven't seen a lot of the Universal stuff. I still haven't seen a lot of the Hammer stuff. And the well, stuff the hammer, done, a lot of the hammer is not readily available, which is a shame. It's 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 a crime. <laughs> it's yeah. just like there's yeah. no excuse for it. It's, the fact that we can't get a copy of The Devil Rides Out is ridiculous. I, I think last year was it last year or the year before I saw I know one of your favorites, which is uh Kronos. Yes. And, oh my god. And I'm like, this is awesome. Yes. Yeah. And and that's that tone of hammer. That that is what you said. The adventure aspect. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked that sort of thing. Whether it was, you know, when I can remember growing up watching uh, uh, the Disney Scarecrow uh, of Romney, uh, Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. That uh, I I know what you're talking yeah, about, Doctor Sin. Uh, with uh, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I was uh, I was writing up earlier today. I was writing about stuff and I mentioned. Uh, a sci-fi movie that had a title that sounded very Disney Channel to me. <laughs> and I used it in a disparaging way and I had to kind of write a pair, a sentence after that clarifying that Disney has made some fantastic genres. Oh, absolutely. Stuff. Uh, and that is all the more impressive for the fact that it's family yes, friendly. Yes. And that's, you know, uh, I'm more impressed by that kind of thing too. Uh, you know, like growing up watching Poltergeist, you know, I mean, that's, sure, I mean, that sure. kind of yeah, was yeah. a borderline, almost an R rated movie. I mean, if they hadn't had PG 13, then they, they definitely would have had to classify that one as an R. But absolutely. And that movie scared the shit absolutely. out of me too. I mean, it's terrifying. Um, and, and, you know, most of the ones that I, uh, the classic horror movies that were even out when I, like from the sixties and all the seventies, like Rosemary's Baby and The Omen and, you know, all the ones that, you know, are really these intense, you know, thrillers about the devil and, 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 and The Exorcist is obviously the big one, you know, The, shi- the and, Shining. And most- oh, that terrifies me. Well, a lot of, 
a lot of those now there's some graphic parts to all Absolutely. of those movies but I think you could cut out some of the graphic stuff and the narrative and the content or the uh, story is still the scary part like the tension that's built you you know you could cut out the graphic scenes and still have a very affecting Absolutely. movie uh, they don't rely on gore and violence and 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 yeah. whatever else. i mean when you think about a lot of those movies you, yeah the the gore is there but that's not what freaks you out <laughs> right right yeah and i i go i you know i go both ways i grew up with the slasher flicks as well and i love that stuff i love i think my fascination with the gore is more how it's made than what it is like, wow, how did they make it look like that guy's leg just got ripped off than necessarily yeah, yeah. that it did. Um, but it, but it's, there's so many facets of horror and suspense and thrillers. And I think it's, I think a lot of people need to look more into them because that classic stuff, like the Universal Monsters movies, it's easy to dismiss them because they're black and white and because they're old and whatever else. But I mean, when you look at the creature, that story, one, it's just a great story. The monster suit is one of the best practical effects that's ever been Absolutely. made. And also, think about, even amongst the Universal Monsters movies, how much that movie broke the mold because it's a modern story for its time. In, in amongst other pieces that were period pieces and to a certain extent relied a lot on being period pieces. That's the only one of the universal monsters that's a modern story. Um, I think you're right. I'm not sure if the Wolfman. I mean, no, the Wolfman was a was, period. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was a period yeah, piece. Yeah, that you're was right. the, yeah, well, yeah, that, I mean, there might have been st- – I mean, obviously, the Metaluna Mutant. You right. Know, the, the day – wait, not the day the Earth stood still. What is uh, – this island Earth. This island Earth was, was a you know a modern sort of futuristic piece. But as far as the, like Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and the Mummy, like that stuff was all peri- – even the Mummy wasn't modern for the times, I don't think. Now that I've said it, though. Yeah. It would no. I don't think it was taking place in the well, 30s, no. though, was it? Well, well it no, I mean, those the were 50s, all done. It would have been the 30s. No, the yeah, because the the first. I mean, there's a bunch of waves for the universal yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's the early stuff with uh, Phantom of the Opera, right, and and all that stuff going on. And then there's a little bit later in the 30s when you get uh, Dracula and Frankenstein and and then the Wolfman and all that the stuff. Mummy, now I'm thinking though the Mummy for the time was a, was modern. It's been a long time since I've seen the mummy. Yeah, the um, we're covering a lot of those on Earth Station One this month uh, because I think I think they're all worthy of it. So we're devoting episodes. Uh, we recorded one about Frankenstein. Uh, we were we we're working on uh, Wolfman and Dracula, and then a composite of a bunch of other Universal ones because I think. You know, they all deserve uh, some attention, and they're all unique, and they all still work. I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, they. I, I think there's a reason that Dracula and Frankenstein are the big two, you know, because they work. Um, you know, now, granted, not every version of these movies work, uh, <laughs> you know, not, not by a long shot, unfortunately. No, no. 
Now but, go watch Andy Warhol's Frankenstein and uh, no, no, don't. don't. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, if you watch that initial uh, movie uh, version of Frankenstein and the original Dracula, even though they're they're based on, I think one thing that really helps them is that they're based on these literary giants. Yeah. Those novels are are awesome. And if anybody hasn't read the novels, they, they should because they're, they're amazing. Dracula is my favorite novel of all time, period. It's just brilliant and it's spooky and it scares you. Um, and, and the universal movies take liberties. They're not strict adaptations of, of those books at all, but nor, nor should they be. Well, no, but they work, they work so well. They're cast really well. These, they, they might not have been A-listers that were working on these movies, but man, they treated them like they were, cause they're, I mean, there's, uh, some great acting, uh, and, uh, yeah, there's, uh, some great acting and some amazing performances out of those. Yeah, I, I, uh, well, and it's interesting because I, I would love to know, and I, I so badly want to get the box set that has all eight of the, the kind of the big movies in it. Just to see kind of the behind the scenes, what went on. Because I mean, at the time, I'm sure they had no real concept of franchises. Well, you know, they, I, do you, do you think? I think they did. I mean, I think they were early enough. They, they kind of knew. I mean, they weren't, um, uh, uh, yeah, I think they, they knew. Uh, I don't know the, the behind the scenes as much as I'd like to. But, uh, I, I do know that, you know, they, this wasn't the first time Frankenstein had ever been filmed. Right. Uh, this right. wasn't the But fir- I mean as far as as far as one studio doing a series of interconnected narratives. I think the I think the Sherlock Holmes movies, I mean there was a there was a there were serials. I mean heck right, back right. then they were yeah, doing yeah. they weren't doing all that stuff. So I think they kinda knew about that sort of thing. I don't know how much of a plan they had for that. And once it got huge, obviously they were like, oh, but uh, unfortunately, the more movies they made, the the kind of sillier they got. So, yeah. So, let's say the powers that be, the the mystical guardians of Hollywood, came to you and said, "Mike Gordon, we are going to give you exclusive control of one franchise or one monster or one story." What? What would you pick? Star Trek. Oh wow! No hesitation whatsoever. No, as a matter of fact, I've I I, I actually have thought in my head, like there's been times in my life where I thought uh, that uh, my goal should be to to try to to try to run that franchise because the people that were running it were running it to the ground. <laughs> so and I and I still kind of feel that way. Um, I think it might be too late now, but. Um, uh, uh, if I could, if I could run any franchise uh, that's out there, it would be Star Trek. That's, uh, uh, I know it's not a, a horror thing, but it's, it's an, it's the, uh, a love that I have for Star Trek, um, is bigger than probably almost anything else out there. So, so what is, cause I'm, I'm torn on this myself. I, I don't, uh, I do love Star Trek. I don't know where it would fall in my top franchises exactly. Uh, but I did grow up with it. Uh, for, for me, the original cast movies are my personal star Trek. Like that's my preferred flavor of star Trek. 
Uh, and what what's happening now? It's it's this is what and this is what happens. What we were talking about earlier with franchises that you love, and when they take different directions, and and you have to kind of figure out in your mind where you are with that. You know, for me personally, it, it's not that I'm not enjoying the franchise right now, but I do know that it could be a lot better, and it should be a lot better. Uh, it, it's you know, it's popcorn movies now. And they're not bad popcorn movies. I enjoy watching them. I've watched both of them multiple times. Uh, but they're, they're flawed. They're not what I would have done. Where, let's say you could go back to a point in the Star Trek franchise and take the reins. Where would you have done it? After, I'll give, obviously I'm not going to mess with Gene and what he did with the original series. That's my, that's my true love of Star Trek right there. Um, the, it, it leads into the movies, which I love as well, especially Star Trek two, which is probably, uh, it's certainly depending on the day that you ask me, it could be my number one movie of all time, or it could be, it's certainly going to be in my top five. So, um, sure. And, uh, um, and even though I would not have, when I first heard about Next Generation, I was not impressed. Uh, I didn't even watch it until, I don't <laughs> think I swear. even watched it until maybe it was either the end of the first season or into the second season. Oh, not at all. So you didn't even look at Encounter at Farpoint. Oh no! I just said, uh, oh, I'm not going wow. to waste my time with this. This is not Star Trek. Uh, wow! And uh, I, I kind of, you know, I think I was a little bit more stubborn then. Uh, sure. I did the same thing with Doctor Who. Once uh, um, I loved uh, uh, Tom Baker as the Fourth Doctor. Once he quit, I, I was done. Uh, I didn't even. Uh, I, I went back a couple times. I went back to watch the five doctors and was miffed because he was only in it for a little bit. Sure. Um, and then that was it. I kind of washed my hands for Doctor Who for a while. So, uh, similarly with Star Trek, uh, like I said, but the second, I was also, that was when it, de- when it debuted, Next Generation was also my freshman year in college. So there was a lot of other things on my plate than, than Star Trek at that time. And, and it was hard to get to a TV. People can't imagine this now, but again, it was even more, it was difficult to get to a TV to watch the thing, let alone like, you know, uh, may, you know, to be able to see it was amazing. Uh, right. Cause you just, we didn't, you know, we, uh, it was hard. People just don't understand now how difficult that, that would have been. Like, what? You could just watch on your phone. What? No. What? What channel was it even on at first? Uh, well, it was syndicated, so it wasn't a network show. So the times varied from region to region. The days. I can't were- even remember. I know it was on UPN at one point here. Well, that was yeah. I mean, it might have been on, but that was before UPN. I mean, it made its debut before UPN. Sure. Yeah, and that's. I can't remember what channel. Next Generation was so popular and and spawned a huge wave of syndication, the likes of which the TV had never seen before. That it opened up a lot of doors, and it's because of that that we had eventually got UPN. So, uh, Next Generation is huge as far as uh, both. Uh, not, I mean, to continue the Star Trek franchise, as well as uh, just as as a historical TV thing as well. But, um, 
I, and but I did, you know, by that second season, I was hooked. And in the season three with the best of both worlds finale, that was probably the best ha- hour of television I'd ever watched in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, that that cliffhanger was, ooh, it was just something special. And uh, and so yeah, and I love D Space Nine. That's another one of my favorite shows. Uh, not so big on Voyager, not so big on Enterprise. Uh, and then by that point. Um, I really wish I could have taken the reins after D Space Nine, um, before Voyager, certainly before Voyager got into its first season, because that's when things for me as a fan started to really go awry. And, uh, once there was that, once Enterprise ended, there was that void. Uh, you know, it was time for anybody to step up. And I was really opposed to, uh, still am kind of, but I was really opposed to them doing a, to doing a reboot, uh, right. or, uh, or a revision or a flashback or whatever, you know. Um, do you think that Berman had driven it into the ground so much that the only thing that could happen was a reboot? I don't think Berman, as much as a, a good producer as he was, and I'll give him due for that. He kept the train running, but he didn't yeah. have the, I don't think he ever, and you know, I, I hate to, you know, uh, but say this cause I don't really know the man, but I don't think he ever had the passion for it. Uh, I don't think he had the passion for the show. I don't think he was a storyteller. Uh, I never saw his name like Rick Berman writes this episode. Uh, right, uh, right. so he wasn't, he was the showrunner, but he wasn't a creator. And you'll, you'll notice my, my uh, focus on showrunners <laughs> is a recurring theme. Somebody's got to be held responsible. I think I, I think I said the word showrunner and you backed up a little bit. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I think that so that when, you know, they kept wanting things and, and, and wanting a Star Trek to be on the air, I think they they just they lost sight of what made Star Trek Star Trek. And. As much as I love Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and and feel like they're one of the that's re- characters, they're one of the reasons that the new movies do well is because they're so such good characters, even when you have other people playing them. Uh, right. I, I I think as much as I love them, I, Star Trek isn't them. Uh, it isn't doesn't it shouldn't be about them. Uh, Star Trek is about us. And it always, uh, that was Gene's vision for it. And I think that's when it worked the best. And, uh, it, I miss the fact that right now there is no show on television that takes place in space. There is no show that gives us a optimistic view of our future. There is nothing that's basically saying on a weekly basis, like Star Trek used to do, you know what? Things suck right now, but they're going to get better. Well, and I think it's interesting that we're having this conversation right now because, uh, I, I highly recommend that everybody go and listen to, uh, the kill the moon episode of earth station who as a companion to this episode, <laughs> that was fun because, that story addressed this very issue. 
Uh, and in a lot of ways it did. And, and Doctor Who is, is its own thing and it's awesome. And, uh, I, I have to, uh, you know, I have so much more respect for it than I did back then. I mean, I still love the Tom Baker stuff. As a matter of fact, I've been going through personally, I've been going through uh, his entire run and rewatching that. Uh, and I'm just loving that. But I also have a lot more respect for the people who came before him and the people who came after and what that show represents, because that's a lot different. I mean, that's you're talking about a guy who doesn't, you know, use violence to solve anything. And uh, although the show can be kind of violent, but um, it's a it's a it's a very unique hero that we don't see very often. And I think it's a great role model and it's a great show to have on the air. And it does talk about issues that are relevant to us. Um, that's what, uh, Star Trek showed to me on a very public way, uh, a very accessible way that you can talk about these things, racism and, and Vietnam and, and war and, and this and that and the other thing. Uh, you can do that on a weekly basis in a setting that makes it accessible to folks and they can still have a good adventure. I mean, it was, yeah. It, it, it really was remarkable that they were able to do that all. I mean, when it worked. I mean, obviously, there are some episodes that are better than others. But when it works, it's amazing. And I can't think of any other show that did that as solidly. And one of the reasons why I like Star Trek II a lot is because it does that really well. Um, I mean, it's, it's an action-adventure revenge flick. But it's also got this subtext about um you know what it is to be to get old and to to feel useless and to wonder about your place in in life and in, in the world and the universe or whatever and it's just it's just fantastic um and that's and it gets better as i get older because i can relate to them more i think because i'm i'm getting to their age but uh um so yeah star trek is is definitely a uh, uh one that i would like to run i i i would not have gone back though i would go forward i would have gone probably another hundred years and uh uh go a hundred years and then and then introduce like the enterprise m or something with a new crew and and make it a tv show because i think star trek works best as a tv show I agree. And, and, and just, you know, if it want, if somebody wants to make a movie of it every, every the year, that's fine. But, uh, the Enterprise crew, uh, to join in like every week would be what I would do. And, uh, I'm kind of sorry that that's not there. So. Well, and that's the whole thing is, is it's the five year, and you know, whether or not it's, it's literally the five year mission. It's the five year mission. It's the ongoing adventures. It's following the lives of these explorers, these adventurers, these people who are going out into the beyond. And you can't capture that with one two-hour movie every four years. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, you could tell some exciting stories if you like, but um, you, you can't you, you can't tell the whole story. And, uh, you know, these great characters that they are that they have. And I thought, you know, I thought the first Abrams movie was fun. I didn't care for in a darkness at all. Um, but I thought the, um, the, the characters and the actors that are playing, you know, Kirk, Spock and all that doing a great job, but really they're playing characters that, uh, you know, we, they don't, 
I want to see Star Trek do something new. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see them try to recapture the past magic of this, of these characters. I want to see Star Trek take us to new frontiers, so to speak. And I know it sounds corny, but that's, that's actually how it should be. And it's a shame that the persons who are running it, uh, don't, don't see that. They don't, you know, Gene, for all his flaws, uh, had that vision. And once, uh, it was taken away from him, once, you know, he was taken away from us, unfortunately that, that vision is gone and nobody seems to really get it. Well, and that's, to me, as much as I love the original crew and I love those movies, to me, what's so important about Star Trek is the fact that it did carry on in different iterations. You know, it did go into Next Generation. It did go into D Space Nine. And while I haven't really watched Voyager, and I certainly haven't enjoyed Enterprise any of the times <laughs> that I've sampled it, uh, you know, it did find it's, it's a universe. It's not, like you said, it's not about any specific characters. It's about that hopeful future. It's about the hopeful future, about exploring. Uh, yeah, because these aren't – look, I mean the Enterprise wasn't a bunch of like ragtag mercenaries like looking for their next job or, or you know, some sort of war vessel or some vessel that was looking for their home in space. I love Battlestar Galactica, by the way. Um, <laughs> and that's another franchise. But it is a bummer. That was a, that was a franchise. That was probably that, you know, uh, that was probably would be my second franchise that I would have loved to have been in charge of until they did the reboot. And then obviously they changed so many things that it's pointless to really try to go over that now. But, um, uh, you know, it wasn't about, you know, it was about Star Trek was about exploring and, and seeing new things, but relating to them. And it's just, you know, we're, like I said, we're missing that. There's no show. That does that now. Nothing. And it's, it's kind of sad with everything that we have available to us that no one's picked up that mantle and tried to, try to run with it again. Yeah. Everything is very dystopian, very, uh, you know, any shows that are futuristic tend to be that, that post apocalyptic kind of negative shit's already gone bad. And, <laughs> and now it's only getting worse. There, there's not a lot of that bright future kind of stuff, but I think it's a sign of the times. Uh, you know, I, I think at some point somebody will realize that people would like to see something a little brighter and a little more hopeful. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see. Well, you know, it's something that, uh, look, I mean, I'm not done. I've got a bunch of ideas that, uh, that uh, I've got uh, the the only thing that stops me really is time and 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 production costs. So uh, I've got uh, a lot of different projects that New Legend is 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 got on the schedule that will see the light of day um, at some point. So you know, I mean, if no one else is going to do it, then then uh, you know, coming soon, right? That's right. Yeah, if nobody else is doing it, do it yourself. And and uh, man, hell of a segue. <laughs> what is coming up for Mike Gordon? Well, we've got uh, Tiki Zombie number three that uh, we are working on now, which should be out by the end of the year, like I said. And then uh, four and five will come out next year, and next year will be, the, like I said, the fifth anniversary of Tiki Zombie. So big things happening. There's a, In addition to the three issues, there's some other projects that uh, look like they're going to happen around the same time, too, which is so. So next year will be a, the year of Tiki Zombie. So uh, I'm getting ready for that. But uh, um, also Strong Will will be completed next year and that'll be out. So I'm excited about that. 
Um, there's some other um, projects uh, that are probably not that as close to completion, so I don't know if you'll see them that soon. Uh, but uh, keep looking to the New Legend website to find out more information about that. And, of course, every week I'm available on Earth Station One, doing the Earth Station One podcast. Uh, that has been awesome and fun. And, of course, the Earth Station Who podcast, which has been weekly for a while now, which is which is which is great and you know you know what this this season with her with doctor who seems to be so controversial um and and as much as i hate seeing a lot of the 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 horrible behavior online i have to say that uh our show has never been more entertaining yes i agree i agree uh, 100% we we've had well and that see i feel like that is indicative of of the fan culture because you and me and Faber and Jen and whatever guest we may have on at the time can have an entertaining, friendly conversation with completely different viewpoints. Once you get into typing sentences online, <laughs> you lose you lose tone, you lose intent. Um, I, I, the the typed conversations get out of control so easily as compared to verbal conver- uh, conversations or, or, you know, in-person conversations. And, and I think it's a shame that that happens because we, you know, we can, can get on for an hour a week and have completely opposing viewpoints and still be friendly about it and still have fun conversing about it. But then you get into message boards and, and Facebook groups and whatever else and things can get just get so ugly. Yeah, and it's not just unfortunately it's not just the case of Doctor Who, but it's it's a lot of other fandoms and and a lot of other things as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, it's all over the internet, and it's it's kind of a shame. And I I don't know, you know, I'll leave it to some other just a day's discussion or other night's discussion to to, to figure out exactly why that is. But I and I don't know if there's an uh, you know an answer for it. But the only thing that uh, I can do is try to, you know, to try to ignore it and be a positive force. Uh, so, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the way I want to, if I'm going to go out, that's the way I'm going to go out. <laughs> it's trying to be a positive force among all the wave of negativity. Well, and as, as always, we wrap things up with a plug fest. Uh, where can we find you online, on Twitter, on Facebook? Where can we follow New Legend? Where can we follow Mike Gordon? Well, um, the website is newlegendproductions.com. That's where you can find everything that uh, we're currently working on that we've got out. There's uh, links to some uh, some online stores so you can order our books that way. Um, and um, also, I'm, I've got my own blog, which is newlegendmike.com. And uh, right now, I'm, I'm also engaged in the countdown to Halloween. So I'm having a lot of fun. This, this season, I've decided to try to mess around and tie together some of the links between Halloween horror, classic horror, adventure, tiki, uh, that kind of thing. Trying to bring like, uh, you know, the enchanted tiki room back to the uh, haunted mansion, so to speak. (laughs) Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, also I am on Twitter, new legend, Mike. Uh, I, I tell you, I don't, you, that's not my primary one. Facebook is new legend, Mike as well. You can find me there. Uh, that's probably where your best bet is to find me hanging out. And, uh, I love Instagram. 
which is also New Legend Mike is my handle there. Uh, I'm addicted to taking pictures and seeing other pictures and, and, and following people on Instagram. So, uh, and I, and I've, I'm, I'm at a convention or anything of that nature, you will see me take a ton of photos. So I love doing that. Yeah. Your, your Instagram feed is, is well worth following. And I'll tell you what, man, Instagram, if, if you can manage hashtags, Instagram, I find is the most valuable of the social medias right now. I, I've, it's be, it's been gaining ground and I don't know that's because it's, I thought things were going to change maybe once it got, didn't it get purchased by Facebook or something? Yeah, but it seems to have stayed pretty, pretty consistent and pretty valuable. Pretty independent on its own yes. and growing into its own thing. I mean, I think now you can do, can you do messages through Instagram or something? You can do messages, something? you can do videos. Um, there's, yeah. it's, and, and it's almost, you know, Twitter, kind of the selling point of Twitter was the 120 characters. You've got to have concise thoughts and get your message across quickly. Instagram <laughs> is even more so with you have one image, uh, and granted as many words as you want to use, but you have to choose, you know, that, like I said, the hashtags on Instagram have gotten me more followers and more attention than any other social media I've used. Uh, and you know what? The same thing for me. The, uh, for some reason with Instagram, I have, it's one of the few things where I have more followers and friends or whatever they're called than I do, uh, the people that I follow. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, uh, so, and, uh, and I've met, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you would think that it's just, oh, it's just people looking at pictures or whatever, which it is in a lot of ways. But I've actually met a lot of people on over Instagram, which is amazing. I didn't think that that was the tool for that. I thought that would be something a lot more interactive like Facebook or uh, Twitter, to be sure. Right. But, um, but I'm finding I'm having a lot of fun with Instagram. So, yeah, look me up there. Well, awesome, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Um, definitely everybody follow Mike Instagram, follow him on Facebook, check out esopodcast.com for the ESO podcast and for Earth Station Who. And uh, thanks for coming on, man, and have a happy Halloween. It has been my absolute pleasure. I, I'm glad that we got the chance to do this. I, I feel honored because uh, it, it's it's just a, you know, what you're doing has been a, a great thing. And I, I admire what you're doing so much. So the fact that we can kind of connect, and I know we connect on, you know, Earth Station Who and, and, and Earth Station One occasionally and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, to connect like this has been a great experience. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I You know, I just wanted to have a cool conversation, and we definitely did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if, if nothing else, it gave us a reason to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that we we have to in order to sit down for a couple hours and talk, we have to record it. <laughs> that's how it is now. Yeah, well, that's how podcasting works. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. Thank you. What a great conversation. Preceded by the worst introduction I've ever done. I will never record uh, these things in the wee hours of the morning again because it's just not great. I, I don't one. I just don't have the energy, man. I'm I'm an old man. I'm tired. It's 3:45 now, and and holy cow, I'm ready to go to bed. Okay, really, I'm ready to maybe have a beverage and watch some more Tales from the Crypt because that's all I've been watching this month. But uh, I'm done. I'm ready to go. So remember, 
Check out Needless Things on Stitcher and iTunes. Go to NeedlessThingsSite.com. Go to ESOPodcast.com. Keep an eye on the Needless Things page on Facebook, uh, Needless Things on Twitter. And keep an eye on the El Phantasmus identity, I guess, on Facebook. That's E-L-P-H-A-N-T-A-S-M-A-S to find out what I'm going to be doing all month long. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I'll talk about that a little more on the next episode, which we'll post next Friday. Uh, for now, I think it's just time to go to bed. I, I, I think it's time to lay down, pop in a little Crypt Keeper. I don't think I'm going to have that beverage. I'm going to have a, a nice tall glass of water and uh, get up early in the morning, early for me anyway, and go interview none other than Mr. Shane Morton. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Shane Morton will be the subject of the next episode of the Needless Things podcast. So tune in next Friday, but be sure and check out the site between now and then for all kinds of crazy, kooky, spooky Halloween content. And remember, I love you guys. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.